0: Hey, I'm Jenna Wolf, Certified Lactation Counselor, Parent Coach, and Extended Breastfeeding Mom of Two. I fully understand the unique challenges of breastfeeding beyond the baby days, and I'm here to take your hand and support you along your journey. So toss that hair in a messy bun, grab a basket of laundry to fold, and let's get started. This is Start to Stop Toddler Breastfeeding. All right. I had a blog post, um, I don't know, six months or more ago that has been very popular since I've released it and gets shared a lot. And I thought I would take that blog post and um, talk about it on this podcast, expanding on what I shared in that blog post, because I can, I don't have to go back and edit this grammar. (laughs) So I can go a little deeper and speak a little more freely on this topic. Um, that I know obviously is very popular. It's something that you guys want to talk about. You're sharing it. So it's normal, or it's a common, common phrase, I should say, to to call your child boob addicted, right? Like the booby monster. They have this boob addiction. Um, and that can feel like something very bad or wrong. Uh, it can feel very frustrating. You know, your toddler... Might still be waking frequently at night to breastfeed. You feel like you can't leave them with anyone without them losing their mind. Um, you're embarrassed to take them out in public because they're going to be putting their hand down your shirt, right? And when you share that with people in your life, even people that love you and are supportive, it's really common to hear back, like, oh, well, you know, they're two years old. Like, they should be done with this already. Like, you need to just wean them. And everyone, it it just kind of feels like you should have figured this out already. Like, what are you doing being here? And it can feel like, well, everyone else has this so easy. I don't understand what's wrong with me. What's wrong with my child, right? And, you know, it is strange in our culture for a child to still be doing those things, or at least for us to be talking openly about them still doing those things. And there's reasons for that. But let's just take it face value that, you know, whether or not it's happening to other people. It culturally, we know that we don't talk about that, right? That the expectation is that your child should be sleeping through the night by age three or two or whatever age your child is, toddlerhood, right? And that, you know, um, they should have been weaned by now. So if we take that just at face value like that, and that that's just this kind of understanding that we all tend to collectively have. It feels strange that our child is still doing those things. It feels like um, they're the outliers. And our brains take things that are strange or different, especially about ourselves, and immediately equate them with bad or wrong. Now, this is a protective measure that our brains are taking because psychologically we want to be like our peers. We need to fit in. We need relationships we cannot survive in this world alone so we want to be part of the group we want to belong that means that when there's these things about us that are different from everyone it's really common for our brains to go oh that's bad right and you know you can even think about this like our children their milestones you know whether that's growth milestones or developmental milestones they're created by averages so we're always comparing our children right from from the earliest moments that's how we're tracking their development that's how we know that they're on a good path the right path that they're growing properly that they're developing properly so we're really conditioned early on to compare our kids right so this perception that your child is addicted to the breast feels like it leaves you with two options right tough love just say no tough it out or toughing it out yourself where you're just white-knuckling it through this process and hoping that it just gets better one day. But the thing that your brain is missing in this assumption is that it's not your child or breastfeeding that's the problem. It's the culture. So it's easy to get overwhelmed with that statement because you cannot change the culture. And it's easy to feel like, well, then you have to have that you know, options of tough love or tough it out. That's that's all that there is. But I promise you there's another paradigm we can move into that isn't just tough love, tough it out. You don't have to force your child to do anything they aren't ready for and you don't have to wait until they just magically decide to be done with breastfeeding. Also, I want to share with you that despite what others around you might say, your child still being quote addicted to breastfeeding is a good thing. It's No secret that breastfeeding is not the norm in much of our Western world. So in Canada and the U.S., which is where I am, but these um, stats are comparable in, you know, the U.K. and Australia and many different parts of the world. It is recommended that infants um, exclusively breastfeed for the first six months, but we know that only about one quarter to a third of babies do exclusively breastfeed for the first six months. And in both countries, it's recommended to breastfeed for two years and beyond with the introduction of complementary foods, but only about a quarter of children are still breastfed at a year. Um, Again, these are kind of very general stats because Canada and the U.S. are huge places, uh, locally in my area you know only about 16% of babies are breastfed um by 6 months 16% that's it so some areas it's much lower you can absolutely go and look and see what your stats are for your area um, a lot of times those those stats are available so that's kind of a fun thing to do but what happens is that the places the the children around you are not in the same position that you and your child are right that you are in the minority breastfeeding until two in the area you're in. Now, when we move zoom out globally, we know that about half of the ch- half of the children in the world are still breastfeeding at age two. So you're not in the actual minority in the world, but in your area where you live, it's likely that you are. And this means that your pediatric- pediatrician is used to seeing kids your child's age who likely are not being breastfed. And that means they're comparing them to children who are not being breastfed, right? So it's even likely that the studies that they're using to um, assess your child's development and to assess what's normal are also were conducted with children that probably weren't being breastfed, or at least the majority weren't being breastfed at that child's age, which means that you know, your child continues to be that outlier, right? And what they're doing isn't seen as normal. And again, not being seen as normal can automatically be associated with bad in our brains. Even though we know that the recommendations are still to breastfeed for two years and beyond, this can still happen because of culture, right? So knowing that your child's behavior is, um perceived by others as being bad or wrong can be helpful, right? Like, so it's just a perception. This isn't actually the way it is. But why is this happening? Like, why is your child being addicted to the boob? Why do they freak out the way that they are? What's happening? So in order to understand that, you have to understand that your child's number one need isn't for food, water, or shelter. It's for you. So nature is very, very clever. Your deep bond with your child is what stirs you to provide food, water, and shelter. So truthfully, taking care of a child is not something that we would do Um, if there wasn't like a reward in it for us. So the reward for us that kind of nature has given us is a rush of oxytocin. It feels really good and it bonds us to our kids and it keeps us wanting to care for them. If we didn't have that and we just, like if we had no connection, no bond to our child, then, you know, it's difficult to care for a child If we didn't have that deep bond, then our our child would be helpless on their own. They're not able to take care of themselves, particularly as a young infant, but even into toddlerhood. Now, your child isn't like entirely helpless, right? They can't hunt or fish or build shelter, but they can seek out your connection. So you get a rush of oxytocin when you're, you know, smelling their sweet little hair and looking at their chubby little fingers. And of course, breastfeeding, there's a huge rush of oxytocin when you're breastfeeding. But they get a rush of oxytocin as well when they are cared for when they breastfeed. And that same rush of oxytocin that keeps you caring for them keeps them coming back to you, right? So they seek out that connection. They feel safe and secure when they are with you. So even if you left out, right, a bottle of water and some fishy crackers and a tent in your backyard, they're still going to seek you out. They're not just looking for their physical needs to get met. They need their emotional needs to get met. That's actually their number one need. And this is biological. They aren't driven to find food. They are compelled to find you. Child or like Children's need for emotional safety. So the ability to feel like they can completely be themselves around their primary caregiver, that they can, you know, not have to hide anything. That's how they can rest. That's how they don't have to feel like their caregiver might leave them at any moment. Like they might offend their caregiver and their caregiver is going to just leave them. Because if that happens, then they're going to put all of their energy into keeping their caregiver close by changing things inside of them. And that stops them from being able to develop and grow, right? And experiment and explore. What they need is this completely um, secure, unconditional love from a caregiver so that they can just trust that that caregiver is going to be close by. And there for, for a child, emotional safety, that ability to just be unconditionally loved equals physical safety. Because that means that their caregiver is going to stay by them and their caregiver is going to care for them. And then they can focus on playing, learning, growing, you know, experimenting. So biologically, their body and their mind understand that when they are in the presence of someone who floods them with oxytocin, right, who they feel safe and loved with, they can rest and play and do all the things that they need to do to mature their body and mind also know that even with food and water and shelter, they are helpless without that bonded caregiver because they can't protect themselves from danger. They can't do anything. It's they're being driven to seek that out. And much of their maturity, um, even if they're capable of experiencing, like that they could experience in the long run, gets put on pause while they seek out that deep connection. So this can be trauma, all those things. Like if that were to happen, right, then emotional maturity can kind of get stunted. Things get stunted and they just go into a survival mode of seeking out that deep connection. So this means ultimately that your child is going to cue for you to be close to them right? So they need to feel you being close to them. They need to feel this unconditional acceptance and love. And they're going to cue a lot. (laughs) It's their primary drive. It's what they need the most, particularly in the first five to seven years of life. So in the first five to seven years of life, they're having the most significant leaps in development they will ever experience outside of the womb. So in the womb, they go from obviously being just a tiny little cell that's dividing and dividing and dividing um, to being, you know, a a baby capable of surviving outside of the womb. But then once they're born, they're born with their brain only at about 25% of its, um, like, development. And that jumps from 25 to 50% in the first year and then from 25 or from 50 to about 90% in the next 4 years. So from birth 25% developed to age about 5 to 7 ish and sometimes a little longer depending if there's neurodiversity and temperament and all those things sometimes as long as age 9. But 90% of the development happens in that time. And then the last 10% continues on until about age 25-ish. And of course, there is neuroplasticity and all these fun things that your brain can continue to change even after that. But there's just big, big things happening in that time frame. So during this time, their little brains are wiring with either the knowledge that you are always there when they need them, always, that they can just trust on that. And that's what, you know, researchers... Of attachment theory, called secure attachment, or that they're kind of emotionally alone in the world, and they have to rely on themselves, and this is called insecure attachment. And they will carry that attachment style that develops in those early years with them for the rest of their lives, and they will relate to others from that attachment perspective. Now, of course, there are things that can change things. Um, there can be lots of things that can happen in, in a lifetime, of course, but. Generally speaking, that's kind of how it's set up, where that relationship that they have with their primary caregiver in those early years wires their brain for either this knowledge that they will be taken care of, that they can trust themselves, that they can trust the world and their development flourishes, or they have this knowledge that like the world is a scary, dangerous place and I have to rely on myself and that can be insecure attachment. And of course, that then impacts future relationships, friendships, romantic relationships, et cetera. That means that whenever you come when they call, comfort them when they cry, laugh with them when they play, you are wiring their brain for resilience and confidence later in life. That secure attachment is the defining factor of resilience in their life for the long haul. So here's here's the difficulty. Here's the rub. The cultural lens that you see your child through, right? We develop we um explored that in the first part of the podcast. How, you know, breastfeeding isn't the norm, and how it's it's culturally difficult for your child to be um so dependent on you and all these things, is at like this direct opposition with your child's biological drive for attachment. And now these can seem like really big concepts that, um, you know, play out over the lifespan, but these are happening moment by moment, right? Your child's attachment is still kind of being formed. And although there's these kind of big overarching themes and there's big, you know, conclusions that they'll come to and big wirings of their brain, there's moment by moment where their need for those things are, are impacting the the actual here and now, right? So, because you know our cultural lens, we see our child's behaviors as strange or wrong unconsciously, even if we, you know, logically know that that might not be the case. Unconsciously, we have this trigger. We feel this inside of us when our child goes to breastfeed or we feel really stressed out like this is how it's going to be forever. And we're just our sense of well-being, whether or not we're okay, becomes dependent on whether or not our child is breastfeeding. Right. Um, Which obviously happens in the early stages of breastfeeding for the opposite, right? If our child's breastfeeding, then they're okay. If they're not breastfeeding, they're not okay. Um, But then later on, it it almost flips, where now it's if my child wants to breastfeed, I'm not okay, because of all the things that that means to me, that I'm not normal, my child's not normal, that, you know, that this should be done by now, yada, yada. All of these stories in our brains that happen. Um, And they're just stories, but they happen unconsciously. And until we unpack them, then they're just going to kind of keep happening. (laughs) Uh, And it becomes this like trigger, right? But what happens is that we then will push our child away, not intentionally. I'm not talking about intentionally, but remember how our child needs that unconditional acceptance to just be who they are. And of course, we're human, so unconditional acceptance is not an easy thing to do, um, and we're never going to be perfect at it, and uh, there's lots of there's lots of grace, don't get me wrong. But I want to explain this to you in kind of bigger generalities so that you have an idea of what's happening. So because we see our child's behavior as stranger wrong, and we can feel somewhat insecure about the fact that they're still breastfeeding, or it gets stressful that they're still waking up at night because we're not sleeping. So then we feel this kind of trigger that when they want to breastfeed, we go, This is still happening. It's not done yet. And we see this as this addiction, right? They're drawing close to us. Oh no, they're addicted to me. (laughs) And so what happens is unconsciously, we kind of like cringe. We kind of pull back. But your child senses that separation. And that separation, remember, connection is their number one need. So that separation is really scary to your child, even if it's like unconscious and, um, perhaps not like something that's spoken or like a really big physical action. And that can cause your child to, that was my really sad drum roll. (laughs) It can cause your child to want to breastfeed more because breastfeeding is their way of connecting with you. Now, a child who isn't breastfed, they might have a different way of trying to connect. Maybe it's just tears and just wanting to climb on the parent. This isn't necessarily um, like, this isn't, a condition or a cycle that's completely unique to a breastfeeding experience. But I want to apply it, like I want to show you how it works in the breastfeeding experience because breastfeeding automatically triggers that oxytocin, that connection, that bonding, and it regulates your child's nervous system super, super fast. So that is their best bet at drawing you close, right, at creating that connection. So like I said, they're unable to take care of themselves, to take care sorry, to care for themselves. But they do have this ability to cue for you and find that connection. So what they don't know, of course, is that the fact that they're still breastfeeding is what's triggering you. <laughs> so they can't figure this out. So we have what I call the toddler breastfeeding stress spiral, where you feel stressed, then your child, you so you, you know, cringe, your body tenses, all of that cues your child that, you know, you're pulling away. And so then they come closer. But you are getting triggered by the fact that they're coming closer, i.e. breastfeeding, right? And so the spiral ensues. So we need to learn how to step out of that spiral, um, which I'll talk about in a moment. But ultimately, what we need to know, what you need to know from here, is that your child's addiction to your breast, to breastfeeding, is their wise attempt to feel safe and loved. And it's actually brilliant when you think about it because when they breastfeed, what are they doing? They're causing a rush of oxytocin for you and for them, which is activating that attachment circuitry in your body. It's actually, um, they're trying to jumpstart those hormones, not consciously, of course, this is an unconscious action, but it's a biological drive to jumpstart all of that connection and that warm fuzz and that love that they need. That's that's like their biggest need. So it's super smart. (laughs) It's really, really wise. So You know that there's a good reason now why your child's boob boob addiction exists, and you know that there's a really good reason why that's stressful as all get out for you. It doesn't mean that you just have to accept your fate as being a walking, talking fidget toy and juice box for eternity. Not at all. If you haven't already noticed through this conversation, emotional safety is a massive drive behind your child's breastfeeding. So if we can, if you can learn to create that in other ways. It takes the pressure off of breastfeeding to do the job, and the result is fewer breastfeeding sessions, more oxytocin, and a child with a bright future, (laughs) a resilient, securely attached child who blossoms into an incredibly interdependent, if you go back and you listen to the codependent podcast episode, I explain this a little bit more, but with a bright future ahead of them, right? So ultimately, let's just remember that your child is not broken you are not a bad mom. You are not broken. And there is a pathway forward where everyone feels fulfilled and loved. So I have actually created a free instant access workshop for you to learn exactly how to do that. And it's called the essential roadmap to toddler wean tandem feed and extended breastfeed without being a human fidget toy or pushing your kiddo away. You can grab it for free right now at ownyourparentingstory.com forward slash workshop. Or you can click the link in the show notes or send me a DM on, on Instagram and I will absolutely get you the link. And in that workshop, I cover Like the exact path to take to create that emotional safety and to create changes in your breastfeeding relationship where you no longer feel like you are being held hostage by a little boob addict, (laughs) right? And you're no longer worrying about how to navigate these next steps in your breastfeeding journey or how to wean. Um, I also uncover the three biggest mistakes that I see breastfeeding moms make when they are weaning or navigating changes in their breastfeeding relationship, including adding in a newborn, right? Tandem feeding. So I am very excited for you to have access to it. As well, the doors will open for my group coaching program, Own Your Breastfeeding Story. Um, and I know some of you have been waiting to work with me. I've seen your responses on the polls on Instagram and I'm super excited about it. So if you want to work with me, the details will be in that free workshop as well. Um, it's super awesome. Make sure you grab a notebook before you listen to it because you're going to want to take notes. It's really, really good. All right. So make sure that you get over there and um uh, yeah, jump in on the free workshop and then tell me what you thought of it. Shoot me a DM afterwards on Instagram. I always love hearing from you. If you loved this episode, make sure you hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss any episodes in the future. Also, check out my Breastfeeding Toddler Communication Guide and Cheat Sheet to learn how to say no to the feed while still saying yes to the need at www.ownyourparentingstory.com forward slash guide. And that concludes another episode of Start to Stop Toddler Breastfeeding. The theme song is Little Balloon by Jenny and Tyler. And it has been a pleasure to share this time with you. I'll catch you in the next episode.